as long as you understand the market and you can you can talk a good game i i don't care if you only have one in an industry if you're going to decide and commit and invest and develop that industry niche you just name it claim it and frame it What's going on? Welcome to the show. Heads up advisor. Another mm-hmm. Thursday here. Happy, oh, I forgot, Craig. We didn't we didn't bring out uh no hats. Uh happy Cinco de Mayo. Oh man. Yeah, Cinco de Mayo. Forgot that the poncho, brother. Not not even drinking today, like usual, Craig. Wow. Brutal. Yeah, I've got unprepared. We're getting old here. Uh if you join in, what's up, guys? Go ahead and put in where you're uh, watching in from. We've got a quick show for you tonight. We're gonna we're gonna make it quick so you can go out eat some guacamole salsa and some margaritas. Yeah. Uh, what are we talking about today? The riches oh, or the niches? Man. Is there niches for you? Should you be looking for them? You know, obviously depending on where you are in your career, and that's what we're gonna talk about. What do you say, Craig? Yeah, you know, uh, gosh, I, I remember. When I started the business a long time ago, I got out of college and I wanted to be a financial planner and went to work for Prudential. I remember the interview was great. I went to Prudential Beach back then. That was their brokerage firm. And there was a phone on the table and a phone book. And they go, that's your training program. You start dialing. That's how you learn. I went, I got a bachelor's and a master's in finance while I played hoops. Um, No, I don't think so. So I ended up going to work for Prudential as a debit agent. And I knew 19 ways to get in the door and sit across the kitchen table from somebody to sell them, you know, auto, home, and IRA, life insurance. You're you're muted. What is a debit agent? I've heard that before. I don't know what. Oh my gosh! Well, way back when, apparently, insurance agents would go door to door and collect the premium. Now, by the time I came through, you didn't have to do that, but you had a a region. You had so many block area miles you know and anybody who had a policy in there was your debit agency so you would learn how to call these people and talk to them about you know their dividends and how to apply those and leverage those and make more money and so i did that for all of 18 months after college and then i went out on my own and uh did that the rest of my career but the game was the i always remembered their line right and their line was hey serve the masses eat with the classes and so that kind of is the equivalent of saying, hey, it's a numbers game. You have enough contacts, you get enough meetings, you'll make enough sales. Yeah. And some of the guys today, you know, look, we got a lot of newer guys, younger guys. I'm I'm now an older guy. I mean, like, yeah, you're now. Hey, welcome to the club. Yeah. <laughs> we had the boot camp in Vegas two weeks ago. Geez, I, I got to say maybe three or four or five guys were younger than me. Not used to that. Used to being the youngest at the you know, usually at the event or the, the second youngest, but um, two more years they're going to call you daddy. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, I, I call them. I call them kids at one point. I said they're, ki- they're kids. That's how I know I'm getting yeah. old. Like you. No, they like but, that. Uh, you know, when you're you're new and a lot of guys going on their own. I mean, I think the market transitioned right it's just a cycle. You're seeing massive consolidation, massive buyouts. Right, <clears throat> guys, your age, they're setting sail. Right. Get their buyout, you get a numbers big, ride it for three years, and they're going to be big box. And, you know, they're going to go to managing benefits and 
I think there's huge opportunity for the the independents to come back and take and pluck those away, build their block, and do the same thing. The cycle reoccurs. We got a lot of younger, newer guys, but the reality is, is you don't have the leisure to necessarily look at niches. I think you can. We used to filter the list, like when we would cold call, we would filter the list for, with industries, right? So I might not call. I'm not calling one industry, but there is industries that I'm not calling, right? <laughs> I'm not calling doctors. Dentists, attorneys, worst to work with. They think they know everything, but they only know about their industry. They're, they're horrible to work with, in my opinion. Um, public, public school systems, things like that. I wasn't a public guy. I think in that industry, you're either you're that guy or you're not. You know, it's it's a different world, right? Yeah. Um, and some, no some other, but but guys, there's there's there is the possibility to have to make money in niches, right? So you just don't think conventionally necessarily, right? I mean, I always look at it from my perspective is I want to know there's a big market, right? I mean, you think Andreessen uh, might be niched only in uh, fintech and crypto and metaverse, but it, it's not true. Really what they want is big markets because big markets can lead to a unicorn valuation, which is another way of saying a billion dollar market cap. And they're getting there faster and faster, even when they're non-revenue, even when they're, they show no sign of profits anytime soon, they can have a valuation of billions of dollars. So they're looking for big markets. So, you know, it could be schools, it could be unions, it could be hospitals, it could be nursing homes, it could be uh, nonprofits. So, you know, we know a guy in a group, right? He likes nonprofits. Here's one that's unconventional. Why not ESOPs? Employee stock ownership plans. Every employee is an owner of the company. Who would benefit more than an ESOP in being able to control their healthcare costs? Yeah. That's a niche. Let's back up for a second. So like, yeah. you know, going, you know, broad and, co and coming in, I think you can start out where <clears throat> maybe you're going, it's not a specific niche because you can keep niching, they call it niching down, right? You know, I'm going broad. I'm eliminating bad prospect industries, restaurants, ones that I know that they don't offer health care or they do in a shitty manner. Car dealerships, terrible clients, right? All singles don't want to pay anything, massive turnover. And so now you've got, you know, a, a pool of people to call, right? Because, look, you got to talk to anybody that, you know, fogs a mirror in the beginning. And then, you know, you could go down to what. You know, it's a, it's an annoying exercise. People are like, well, look inside your existing client and, you know, figure out who you have. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know who I have. And then I looked at it and I realized, oh, shit, it's all blue collar. And so blue collar businesses are running on tight margins, typically, okay, some service based. And so what you have is, is you have a workforce that is usually lower paid, Right. And they can't take a healthcare increase. They can't take a cheap plan with massive out of pocket because they don't make any money. So what I would see in Jersey was that the employer had to pay the lion's share of the benefits, like 90% of it. And I'm talking dependents, family, everything. <clears throat> and that was their thing of offering and, and keeping them there. And that way, you know, they could pay them 15 bucks an hour to work there, right? Because people were doing it for the benefits. So, you know, that's where you're in a situation where these blue collar industries, there's pressure on the owner. And when you're saying, I'm going to save you 300 K it's his money, you know, 270 of it's his money. 
Yeah. Is some of them that like, well, well, the employees pay half of it anyway, so it's only half the savings. What do I care? Right. And so the blue collar, what I saw was higher employers paid more and lower paid employees. And it was more important to them. And they were a little bit more older school. And so that was a good market to take group self-funded. That's where my self-funded market was. And we had a lot of success there. So again, not niche, niche down. Yeah. But now it's okay. What's blue collar industries, you know, warehouses, construction, uh, maybe construction. Manufacturing. Uh, I'm sorry. Manufacturing. That, that was one of not construction. Yeah. Manufacturing. A lot of manufacturing out over in Western Jersey and PA. And they had, you know, they would have a manufacturer would have 20 to 100 employees typically. Right. So they were nice sized groups. And you had the ability to take them, tell the self-funded story, take them self-funded. So that's just one way to niche down. Now, obviously, after that, you can start going deeper. Craig, so you've in, got... In today's world, they call it, you know, know your avatar, right? So who do you sell to? Who do you like selling to? Who likes... Who has a value, uh, you know, system that's in alignment with you, right? So do they, do they, value, do they value service providers or are you just a commodity... And their job is to extract as much discount as they can from you. You know, you figure out who your clients are that appreciate and value you and who you like. And, and now that might be a niche. You might have a certain age. You might have a certain sex. You might have a certain background, whatever it is. Right. When you're talking to blue collar, here's what you won't hear after the first meeting. Right, John, we need to socialize this internally across our departments with our peers. Right. That's, that ain't going to happen. So if you don't like those kind of conversations, then, you know, a blue collar might be a nice fit. But, you know, just do some self analysis yeah, to figure out where you're point. at. So my my as I, I started to learn more and got tired of dealing with HR people and, you know, was less and less desperate, started to smarten up. I didn't have a mentor or anybody teach me at the time. I had to kind of learn it as I go. And I'm like, oh, the light went off my head. It's like, wait, I just need to talk to the, the guy, my peer another business owner, and he can make a decision like that. And in those blue collar, a lot of, you know, my experience in the blue collar companies, they make the decision, they make it fairly quickly. Um, it's less, you know, the warm and fuzzies of, uh, you know, the, the white collar organizations where they're worried about the culture, they should have blue collars, you know, look, yeah. they got to, they got to survive. So let's go to that. We, we did an episode on this guys. There's another way to do it. There's, there's sites that you can look up for, industry per employee per year profit margin great indicator lower the profit margin per employee the higher um the the uh healthcare eats into their profits every year on increases so there's more pressure on them you know with healthcare and increasing wages so on and so forth so you can just simply look at that because if you're going in and talking to a law firm or, or let's say a tech company they're the worst we, we told the story before we, we spoke to intuitive surgical, I don't know, 4,000 employees in Silicon Valley and they print money. And they're like, look, John, I don't think you understand. We're not looking to save money on healthcare. That's not what we're trying to do. They don't care when you're Apple or somebody, they make, uh, you know, 120,000, 150,000 per employee per year profit margin. You think they care about saving a thousand dollars a person? Don't care. They rather yeah. increase the benefits. Right. And so, that's one way to look at it and look for pressure for the business owner, right? Because you could you could say 
what you want and savings and this and that. For all you know, the guy's making $50 million a year. Like you saved me 300 grand. Who gives a shit? Yeah, don't assume people want to save money. They don't always want to save, just like you said. If I was him, if I'm making that kind of money, I'm looking to increase my benefits, which is another way to sell certain industries is go up instead of down. Everybody sells down, cut benefits, shift costs, just yeah. go up. Here's another use, right? So I've got a guy who sells a lot of deferred compensation to the C-suite and the key employees. Now, basically what that is, is an old fashioned, you know, how to benefit Tom, but not Dick and Harry, okay? And so you're selectively creating uh, a deferred compensation, an alternative retirement plan or a supplemental executive perk for a specific group of people. Well, guess what? Hey, deferred comp guy or gal who sells these giant life insurance policies to key executives with small groups, hundreds of thousands of dollars in annual premium or millions of dollars in annual premium. Where do you come up with the budget for that? How much pressure is there right now where, shoot, revenues are, you know, hopefully flat and not going down and your margins are getting squeezed because inflation's killing your overhead and it's, it's shrinking your margins. Where's the money going to come from to fund the deferred comp? Because if you don't put some golden handcuffs on those execs, they're going to be looking around. Everybody's looking around now. And so now you get this mechanism whereby you can do that. And like, how are you going to fund it? Well, see, now you have something to talk about. That's not obvious. The savings from your healthcare consulting and controlling the frequency and severity of medical and pharmacy claims can now fund the deferred comp. And now you become valuable in a way they never saw you coming. Or you could create a niche with deferred comp providers to go, I can help you source the money to fund. That's a good one. I know. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah, especially in, in today's market, right? Everybody's trying to, trying to pluck. Yeah, those people, those people have as their clients who you want as your clients. So, so how can you add value to the deferred comp guy? Show them how he can or she can look really smart to their clients to go, hey, next year we can create the funding out of what is a liability for your company this year. Would you like to spend 20 minutes talking about that? <laughs> sure. What else we got? Uh, you could look at estate planners. Estate planners, right? So if you owe, I think it's if your net worth more than $11 million, you're going to owe estate tax, right? It's an optional tax. You've paid tax all your life. You've paid income tax, property tax, sales tax, gas, gas tax. tax, all kinds of, right? And then when you die, if you, if you were too successful, you can owe up to more than half of your net worth in taxes. So estate planning, pretty big deal. Um, in order to have more than $11 million net worth, the odds are pretty good. You own a company. And so- Estate planners have clients that own companies, uh, family offices, typically uh, maybe $100 million net worth. All of a sudden, you retain these family offices and they basically take over the management of all of your stuff, right? Because you probably have 15 different returns and 20 different LLCs and you got you know, partnerships and K1s. You got all this. And so they manage that stuff for you. But odds are you own several companies and they have employees. So you know, that's a tool that you could create a niche in. Understand their what business. Is that a management company that does that? Yeah, they're kind of, they call themselves family offices. They only work with high net worth individuals, which almost always means they own multiple companies. Yeah, that's it. That's an interesting concept because I'm tired of dealing with all the nonsense I got going I, on. I used to have, way back, 
back in the day in the late 90s, I had uh, 30 companies for KKR, Goldberg, Kravis, and Roberts. At the time, one of the largest private equity shops in the world. They had 200 plus companies. I had 30 of them. And, wow. you know, because, you know, the pilot, the pilot for the, you know, was in its own LLC with the, with the, you know, there was two pilots and then the maintenance guy. And then the, you had the maids in another LLC. I mean, you just had people all over the place to take care of a multi-billionaire family. And so you could do the same thing. That's a niche. Or you could be like Michael Franchese. You said talking, you're paying gas is the gas tax. Uh, basically what he did was they opened up gas stations and they would sell the gas uh, for a cheaper rate, not, not pay the, the gas tax, keep, keep, keep the da- gas tax. So gas tax, even back then was 25, 35 cents a gallon. And so they were doing, you know, all in New York, a lot in New York, they were making uh, eight, $9 million a month, a week, a week right. in 1980s. How long did that last before? Right. D- decent amount of time and what they would do is i thought they were just skimming off the tax and they wouldn't catch them no they knew the government knew but there was like a certain period of time before they can they figure it out or whatever and so it was like 10 months and so when they'd figure out and be like hey where's our where's our where's our money they closed that one down and then open up another one and they kept doing it over and over and over i mean unbelievable but anyhow yeah we're not in that world anymore but no no, so I mean, you know, HR brokers, you you can decide to do a lot of different things, find different niches. Or John, we know guys who are like, you know, I kind of, I'm not that excited about retail anymore. I think I just want to do consulting. So, you know, your niche could be, hey, I just come in and I charge a fee, and I do this analysis, and I don't, I don't want the broker record. Okay, you know, that's a niche. You could be a hybrid guy where you go, look, you know, you just pay me to look over the shoulder of this big box chain store. Who, by the way, two years ago was, you know, Freddie's insurance three blocks away, right? So, I mean, there's nothing special just because they got a big box name on their card. And you could you could be somebody who just sells uh, solutions like on a PEPM, right? Centers of excellence, a map overlay, a specialty pharmacy carve out, you know, a bundled surgical, art, my cyber program. I mean, you, you, could literally, you could literally just chase bigger accounts and try to go after one piece. Yeah, you say no. I'm not. I don't want to change you. I don't want to be your broker. I don't want you to change anything. But I do have some very specific solutions that you could insert as you unbundle your VUCA provided package solution, which is not very efficient. It's kind of like voluntary benefits. You know, the voluntary benefits guys were already separate and they're coming in, so on and so forth. Yeah, and and you know what happened for years? Uh, the big national consulting firm they just ignored that. They're like. We don't sell voluntary, you know, because I knew lots of wholesalers who, who sold the voluntary. And they're like, oh, no, those guys, they don't sell it, which is OK, because then we market directly to their customers. But, you know, uh, that all changed years ago with the passage of the Affordable Care Act. And and so now everybody sells to everybody. And, all you know, the minimum size cases come way, way down. Generally, it's $10,000 or more in, in commissions for them to be able to work on it. That varies from firm to firm, but you can bet if you're in that really small market, you know, there's not going to be much competition. If you're going niches too, like what you could start to do is you could start to market as the leader in that specific industry. Once you get a certain amount, I had an old firm that I originally worked at and he did charter schools and he was like the guy at 40 something out of 60 something in New Jersey. And now he's building, you know, the number one on his site, he's 
calling it out a number one, you know, insurer for charter schools. And now you become the guy in that your marketing's built around that your story's built around that you're holding an event built around that and you invest some money yeah. and you go after them and you become the guy. And that could be in the public sector as well. Yeah. I remember when I first started and I was doing account management and I, I got to go on some leads that were under 10 lives and there were Amcos. Yeah, yeah. So brilliant. I got my first, I think it was the first case I ever got was Amcos, two lives. <laughs> first meeting closed. I thought I was the, the man. I, I, used to, I showed up at the broker record letter the first meeting, got the guy to sign it. I was like, this is easy. <laughs> I'm like, they pay I'm, people to do this? Yeah. I was like, I'm going to go after all Amcos. Thought that was smart. I mean, it was smart, but it wasn't the market you wanted to be hey, going after. You know what? That is a niche, uh, franchisees. I ended up go, I ended up getting like eight or ten of them because he was running yeah. the majority of the thing, and he'd send me everybody. Now they weren't worth shit, but you get the point. Is yeah. you become the guy. <laughs> it's irrelevant, right? They don't. They they think there's relevance because you do other guys like us. Look, people just want to think that. Oh well, he knows me. He knows my industry. He knows what I'm like. And so, hey, yeah, it works. As long as you understand the market and you can you can talk a good game. I, I don't care if you only have one in an industry, if you're going to decide and commit and invest and develop that industry niche, you just name it, claim it and frame it. Okay. Yeah. We're the expert because we say we are. And That's you have right. a reference, you know, you don't need 40 of them. You need one. Get started. Yeah. You need one or two. Yeah. Um, yeah. What else we got before you want to run your video and we'll wrap it. Ah, uh, yeah. Let's file this. If you stayed this long, okay, we want to reward you, right, with some fun. This is a parody against your competitors, guys, gals. The bar is really very low, okay? So I want you to think of this. File this under the old saying of it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt, okay? Just think about that for a minute. Now, John, this is one that would be more relevant to you, right? Uh, we, since you used to play pro poker, a fool and his money are soon parted. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. So so let's play this. Lastly, we switched to a new PPO because we discovered even deeper discounts for your company. We don't think it's fair for your employees to pay all the medical bills. The new lower average reimbursement rate is 275% of Medicare costs instead of 325%. This phrase literally means nothing. The discount number is about as delusional as my partner here. You don't know your medical or pharmaceutical costs before negotiate them, and then you accept whatever the provider charges. Can you imagine running your core business model this way? How much do our supply chain vendors charge us? I don't know. Now that's classic. Okay, that, that's classic, guys. That's your competition. So, you know, okay, look, I got a story. This week, 20,000 plus employees. And sure enough, the guy told me, we recently switched to Pickabooka because they have the deepest discounts. I can't make this stuff up. It's not, it's, that's one of many times I've heard it. That's a 20,000 employee company. You think in your mind, they're probably more sophisticated. They're not. All I could think of was who on earth is the consultant on this case? 
we switched because they had the deepest discount. I, you know, I just smiled. Um, what was my other one? Oh, I mean, that's that's the basically the equivalent of these are the two signs. But you know that country comedian, he's like, there's your sign. Okay, that's a sign. Here's the next most popular sign I hear. Well, you know, we have 100% rebate, refund contract with our PVM. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, just... That one's right. I wonder how much longer that's going to go because, you know, they, it's like the PVM knows that the employers now know about rebates. So now they tell them we're passing through 100% of rebates. Meanwhile, we're just shifting the money some other... Meanwhile, we just don't call it rebates anymore. I, I think I saw a fellow published recently, uh, Scott Haas. Right. He, he writes some good stuff. He said the rebates are maybe 40 percent of the money on the table now because they've shifted it. And so these knuckleheads are out there selling and the buyers are buying deepest discounts and and, you know, rebates, 100 percent rebates. <laughs> That's why I'm telling you the bar is really low, guys. You it's, know? it's like CNN talking points. You know what I mean? Here's your talking points for the meeting. <laughs> well, hey, look, give you a couple ideas. We uh we'll keep it short. Go have some fun, single day mile, don't get too drunk. We'll uh you still gotta go to work tomorrow. Tomorrow's Friday, right? Uh, I think so. Drink it up, enjoy yourself. Thanks for joining us, Heads Up Advisor. We'll see you next week. Same place, same time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Thanks for joining us, guys. As always. See you.